1: Welcome back to The Hideout, everybody. Thanks for coming. We're going to start in a couple of minutes. Y'all are ready, right? So uh, it's 630. Thanks for waiting uh, out there, and thanks for coming back. It's March, and uh, this is uh, Chicago. Chicago Day is March 4th. Do you all know that? Chicago was chartered as a city on March 4th, 1837. Yeah, so we're going to be celebrating the 188th or 189th birthday of Chicago on Friday, right? But there is some dispute over that date. You know that, right? We actually became a city or a town in 1833. And so there's been a debate, should we recognize when we first became a town in 1833? But no one has ever been able to determine the actual date Chicago became a town. It was sometime in August of 1833. Do you all know this story? I figure, oh, I figure, y'all, do you all know this, right? This is the, you know, First Tuesdays crowd. So yeah, the Chicago became a town in 1833, they don't, they're not sure, but they think it was approximately August 12th. So there was a time many years ago in the 1800s, they used to celebrate August as Chicago day. And then in the 1933 World's Fair, that World's Fair opened up, you know, late of course and over cost in the 1933 century of progress. And it was called the, and they celebrated the 100th anniversary of Chicago saying that that the birthday of Chicago was 1833 and the World's Fair was in 1933. That's why that was called the Century of Progress. Did you know that? You didn't know that. I feel like I'm in my Chicago public school and I'm talking to seniors in high school. Okay? So, um, okay. Um, I was talking to my students today about the State of the Union address that's tonight. And I was like, y'all know that's tonight, right? And you all know that Katanzi Brown Jackson is going to be the first woman African-American Supreme Court judge ever nominated in history, right? You know, but my seniors in high school are all like, what? What the hell's going on here? Anyway, so sorry that I just went there. All right. Anyway, so, um, so do you know who decided that 1837, uh, March 4th, was the actual birthday of Chicago? Mayor Richard J. Daley. And do you know why he decided March 4th? From here on in, as of 1957, Chicago's birthday will be celebrated on March 4th of 1937, when we were certified as a city. Because Sis Daley's birthday is March 4th, all right? And... (laughs) (laughs) So we are so upset about dictators around the world making decisions about when things are born, what days are going to be celebrated, etc. So we've been celebrating the day March 4th of 1837 because Mayor Richard J. Daly said that and Mayor Richard M. Daly followed through with that when he was mayor. But you know who broke the tradition for a while? Harold Washington did. Yeah. Yeah. Harold Washington was like, I think it's disputed whether it's 1837 or 1833. And so there was, a, there was a period of time there in the 1980s where it was questioned. But you know what, Daley came in, he was in for 22 years, Ron followed through. So god damn it! on Friday, March 4th of uh, this year, that's the god darn anniversary of Chicago, okay? So anyway, so anyway, sorry. I don't swear in my high school class. You know what, folks? Thanks for coming back. I was going to tell you about all the shows that are coming up. We have a lot of great music shows and things like that. Since you've been gone, um, the hideout was nominated again by the reader for a number of different things. We're going to find out this week on Thursday. We are nominated for best music venue, best comedy venue, best hip hop venue, and best live streaming. So, um, but. Our little secret is this, we cover as a music and comedy venue, but really what we're doing, we're bringing political activists in here to come and fuck up the government, okay? That's what we do on the early shows. Later on, we dance and joke and all that, but the real plan is working, okay? So anyway, um, welcome back, um, Ben and Maya and everybody, and welcome back. Thanks for sticking through us, through uh, doing this live, making it through the pandemic. Um, I know, And thank you for continuing to wear masks and to continue to, be, to accept your vaccination card, even though supposedly the pandemic is over and the world is open again. All right. Thank you for doing that, because venues now will be um, many venues will be asking for that. All right. Thanks a lot. Sorry about that. Ben and Maya. Here you are. And it's first Tuesdays is back at the hideout. Here we go. Woo, thank thanks. You.
0: Thank you so much, Tim. Uh, thank you all for coming out tonight. Uh, First Tuesdays is back. Uh, we're hoping that going forward we'll have we'll be back on a more regular schedule, um, and we're really excited tonight to have Mary Kay Dawson and Wallace Gator Bradley join us to talk about judicial elections. But before we get into the interview, I just wanted to. Uh, lay kind of a, f- a little bit of a groundwork about, um, about judicial elections in Cook County. A lot of you all are probably already fully nerds on this matter and know all about it, but in case uh, somebody isn't, I just wanted to kind of pepper a, f- a few more uh, you know, guideposts for our our conversation. So we vote for judges in Cook County. In Illinois, we vote for judges in partisan elections. And Illinois is one of just nine states in the entire country that elects judges in this way. Um, And the reason we do it is because uh, the voters of Illinois wanted to keep it that way. During the 1970 uh, constitutional uh, referendum, uh, over the new Illinois Constitution, there was a proposal to switch to a merit selection of judges, where there would be a kind of a governor's commission and a whole process where people would apply and 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 get selected on their merit. Um, Mayor Richard J. Daley strenuously opposed this system uh, because, of course, the Cook County Democratic Party, uh, you know, wielded a lot of influence over who got to be judge in Cook County, the largest the largest uh, circuit court in the state, uh, and. Surprisingly, it was the voters of downstate Illinois who voted with the daily agenda against switching to a merit selection of judges, uh, whereas the voters in Cook County overwhelmingly wanted to switch to merit selection of judges. But because of the downstate voters, the old system stayed, and that's why we're still electing judges in Cook County. That's a fun bit of trivia for you. So there's two kinds of elected judges. So if you th- there's about 400 judges in the entire circuit court. About a third of them are associate judges that are selected through a sort of merit process, but that's a whole different conversation. But the other two-thirds are elected, and most of those judges are elected from subcircuits. So basically, just like wards in Chicago, you've got subcircuits for the judicial for, for the, the, the circuit court of Cook County. So you all live in a particular geographic area that corresponds to a certain subcircuit. And on the ballot, uh, you will vote for judges, for candidates running for judge in the subcircuit that live in that subcircuit. And then about a third of the elected judges get elected countywide. So everybody in the county gets to see them on their ballot. And the third important thing, I think, uh, just to to kind of bear in mind, is that when people run for judge, uh, when candidates are running for an open seat, so for example, we have a few candidates over here tonight. We've got uh, sitting judge Rena Marie Van Tyn, Michael Weaver, and another sitting judge, Dominique Ross. These folks are running for open seats. They are not running against incumbents. You can't ever run for judge against an incumbent because, because incumbent judges are on the November retention ballot where you just vote yes or no to keeping them on the bench every six years. And even though you have to have an astronomical number of yes votes to stay on the bench, sixty percent, which is like huge for any democratic process, most of them still get way more than sixty percent of the vote and get reelected over and over and over. There's no term limits, and they're basically in there forever. Um, okay, I feel like that's kind of oh this, and the last one more thing. so, Participation in judicial elections is uh, is is, is uh, less than enthusiastic. Usually, uh, about about a quarter of people who bother to cast a, ballo- a ballot uh, in uh, a primary or a November election will vote for any of the judges uh, when they get to that part of the ballot, which is really unfortunate because you know judges are uh, the elected officials we're all most likely to encounter in our lives. Uh, these folks decide whether uh, people are guilty of crimes, whether they get to keep their kids in a divorce, whether someone gets evicted, uh, whether their wages are gonna be garnished. Um, there's so many different decisions that impact people's lives on a very material, real way, and yet we kind of think that these are the least interesting, m- most obscure types of elections, and most a lot of us don't really bother engaging with them. So. In order to dispel some of that boredom and obscurity, we've invited our dear guests here today to talk about why we should care about judicial elections, what's so interesting about them, and to tell us about their work uh, working on judicial campaigns for many years now. So to start off, I think it'd be great to hear from both of you guys uh, about how you got into this work and uh, you know, sort of your political origin story in, in, in working on judicial campaigns.
2: <laughs> oh, man, you're gonna say Get the hat on and let the lady go first. But, hey. I'm gonna say this first off to God, be the glory. I see a lot of my friends out there. Um with the Supreme Court or President Biden making a decision because he had to keep a campaign promise that he was going to elect African-American woman or a nominated African-American woman to be on the Supreme Court. Diversity on the Supreme Court is very important. That's why I support my friend Rena because ethnicity It's very important to be on the bench. Everyone is concerned. Some people say, well, Gady, you going with her because she's the only Indian candidate. And I say, well, what about Sanjay? (laughs) I'm with him too. But it's also important that Deidre has a right to run. I see her as a people's candidate. She ran constantly. And one of her role models was the chairman of the Cook County Democratic Party, Tony Prattwinkle. Everybody know how many times she ran against the regular Democratic Party. And lo and behold, she's in charge of the Democratic Party. But my greatest victory was with Mike Hyman. I brought some mementos. I'll never forget.
0: Just tell us who Mike Hyman is. Mike Hyman.
2: First off, talking about diversity. He's Jewish. And I'll never forget, uh, Burke told him that he didn't believe that a Jewish candidate can win a county race.
0: Specifically
2: for judge. Specifically for judge. They can be appointed, but they couldn't be elected. And I saw how I was with Judge Pincham. Sometimes an individual can bring you into a room and you don't know you're being educated. That was me. Judge Pincham said, we said the commitment. Uh, You know how they do. You know, Mary, I think you was there. (laughs) Anyway. Judge Pincham said, Gator, uh, close the door behind you. I was in the room, so I took that to mean get out the room. So as I was walking out the room, he said, no, I'll close the door behind you while you're in the room. And he come to me and he says, what do you think about what Alderman Burke said to Hyman? I said, well, you know him? I know this is done by a weighted vote. you got to understand the system if you're going to be in the system to run, even if you're running against the system. I said we need to reach out to the Jewish commitment and African-American commitment, and let let them put their weighted votes together, because they both were being discriminated against. Next thing I know, I don't know where he found this picture from. I just remember where I was at when I took the picture. And I'm like, how did they get into the club?
0: So in case folks can't see in the back, it says, this is a a Chicago Sun-Times front page with a picture of Gator that says former warlord working for judge. Uh, And it says, former gangster disciple enforcer Wallace Gator Bradley is a paid consultant for Cook County Judge Michael B. Hyman, who's running for election. How did that
2: work out? It, <laughs> who, who wrote it? Uh, Frank Maine. You know. Not, not,
0: not a greatest hit.
2: It was, it was a great hit for us. <laughs>
0: what? Because so how did this
2: the reason up? I'm saying that. Hey, you know, there's that old saying, there is no bad publicity as long as someone is mentioning your name. We got, we were on Sunday paper. They had did four stories on us in a Sunday paper. And uh, Judge Hyman said, man, Gator, man, it's rough, but I'm standing with you. Pinchot said, yeah, we gotta ride together. And like I told him, I said, Judge, man, we couldn't pay for this. (laughs) We couldn't pay for this. I said, (laughs) I said, hey, man, we couldn't pay for this.
0: What ended up happening? Did the oh, we Oh, we
2: won, we beat Saxton, by I think about 60,000 votes. And I'm saying that to say this, the
3: judiciary is very important to me. And I'm I have to ask the question. And we're going to bring you a Mary Kay, but already we're on a tangent. So spell out how this benefited. I understand the general principle that all publicity is good publicity, as long as they spell the name correctly. Uh, and even if they do spell the name incorrectly, they have to correct the incorrection. So you get double, that, so you can say, double, right. all right. But this case, the message that my beloved Bright One is sending out to its thousands and thousands of readers is that somehow or other, Hyman is corrupt because he's allowed himself to be in an alliance with a former warlord. But and then they, just to make sure that everybody knew hey man, what was the going you, you like. yeah, hey <laughs> John nah, I was that uh, a black true. guy. Okay. So, how does that turn into positive publicity contributing to an overwhelming victory
2: because it allowed everyone to realize cuz they didn't know that I have been given a pardon from a former governor Jim Thompson. You follow what I'm saying? So when they go in at you, they make everyone scratch their heads and ask the question, why? So all of a sudden, they say, wait a minute. He got a pardon by, and everybody that know Jim Thompson, he was a law and order prosecutor. So for me to get a pardon from him, not because I didn't commit the crime, but because of the work that I put back in the community that show I was rehabilitated. So it showed where Judge Hyman was ever, was was made possible to let people know what he stood for, which I feel every judge is to be about. The evidence, the Constitution of the United States and the state of Illinois, and guaranteeing that everyone has a fair, chi- fair trial.
3: So, Okay. That's All right, and before we t- uh, turn it over to me, one final question. In your humble opinion, and I know you were not in the room, so this is just your opinion, who fed this story to Frank May?
2: Uh, Saxon. <laughs> the, yeah, the opponent. Ain't no question. It Look, Saxon... Not Burt. No, no. Saxon... Uh, <laughs> That's my gang. man. Was the yeah, the gang the prosecutor. Gang prosecutor. Uh, it was Saxon... This guy, uh, he's a special prosecutor on the cases for the uh, Burrs torture victims, and it was uh, Bob Barb Uh Oh yeah, oh, she, oh Mary, she's Mary, unbelievable. Hey, Mary was there. She, she's hey, already hey, asked like ten now, questions. Y'all know how short Hyman is, and I'm about uh, a foot taller than him. So actually, was like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, they put it out there because their whole move was like, how could this guy that we said shouldn't be allowed to get slated by the Democratic Party? And we had told him as a Jew he couldn't be elected. Now we're going to paint him as he's going to be the next gangster disciple judge, and <laughs> it didn't work that way. I want to say that because I want to.
0: And it was your first. Partner, of your first judicial election that you were Oh, working yeah. On. So that's where the bug came from. Getting
2: paid, yeah, getting paid as a consultant. Wow.
0: So Mary Kay, what about you? What's <laughs> Top your, that what, one,
4: Mary Kay. What,
0: <laughs> did they paint you as a warlord on the <laughs> front of the sometimes?
4: I'm kind of regretting letting Gator go first. <laughs> <laughs> My story's not as exciting, but I first met Gator during the 96 uh, election for Dick Devine. Right. We were looking for people who had the connections to um, public housing areas, and Gator was hired as a field operative for that, and that's where we first worked right. on that campaign. And then it was like almost you know, from 96 to 2008, and he was kind Gator. of doing right. aldermanic and that. and in about 2008 is when I kind of moved over from the countywides. I had done Dick Devine, I had done Gene Moore. And when you say done, what do you mean? I was the campaign political consultant for these races. And Gene Moore was the past recorder of deeds. Um, he was appointed in 99, and I ran his race in 2000, 2004. And when I was doing these countywides, the Cook County Democratic Party would slate judges. And there were two um, kind of consultants who focused on judges who have since retired, and that was Mike Tierney and George Atkins. And they and the tour, you know, chairman of the party would call me and say, "If you're going to be down there with your other candidates, the, keep an eye out for the judges, right. because they would come in and not sure what they should do or how to speak." So I kind of started helping the party with that. And then in 2006, was approached by um, people with the Equality Illinois organization to work on Mike McHale to see if we could get him slated. The first openly LGBTQ candidate was slated by the party in 96, and that was Sebastian Patty. And it was a decade later, and they thought it was time for another LGBT. And so, uh, you know, it is a big county. Um, so, we were successfully able to slate Mike. And then in 2008, I kind of just kind of moved over. And George and uh, Mike Tierney had both retired. Uh, George retired from his job and, like, two days later was on the road to West Virginia. Um, Mike Tierney moved over as a lobbyist for the plumbers, so he could no longer do the races. So, I kind of shopped into fill that void. And I had a candidate. I usually only work with the slated candidates. But if there is a mistake at slating that I feel strongly about. So in 2008, uh, Judge Dennis Burke was accidentally in the confusion of slating, not slated. And he was one of the best judges. So I did his race against the slated candidate while Gator was doing Mike Hyman. But I also had a slated judge um, that I was working with. So there was a lot of overlap with the campaigns.
3: Okay, so uh, since you talked about slated judges, uh, I got to ask both of you this. We'll start with you, Mary Kay, and uh, then Wallace, you uh, weigh in. So my general knowledge of things, which I've learned from Maya, who has taught me so much about judges, uh, she comes on the show all the time and talks about them, is uh, that if you have that party slating, it's solid, okay? It's not 100% but it's like 99% because uh, people don't really pay attention to judicial ratios. So if they see they get the Democratic support, that should be good enough. The voters fall out. So in uh, your opinion, uh, you say you did both sides. Is it, I don't want to say possible, because I already said it is possible, but how difficult is it to defeat a slated candidate, a candidate who's got that D, who in the old days was supported by Burke and Madigan. How difficult is it to defeat that candidate?
4: You know, it changes from cycle to cycle. So many things influence. So if your opponent, let's say, is an African-American woman, in this cycle where the Democratic Party for congressional races, the countywide, is going to be dependent on turning out African-American women, that's going to be an advantage if an African-American is running. The party benefit is they can provide resources that individual candidates, unless they're millionaires, really can't meet. In order to do mail county-wide, you're looking at a minimum of $600,000 for a mailing piece. TV, unless you can spend over 600, you can't really be effective in a TV market. So by the party, there's an awful lot of talk about the 40,000 that the party takes. That money is pooled to pay for the mail pieces, um, to now pay for digital advertising and other direct voter contact. So it's a resource that an individual candidate
0: really can't match. So you
3: don't have an ethical opposition to the $40,000 allowance?
0: Just for folks who don't know, in order, when, when the party slates candidates, that means like gives them their official endorsement, all the slated candidates have to kick in $40,000, no matter what office they're running for, to a party pool that is then, that pool of money is used to pay for mailers and advertising and lawyers and everything else for that election cycle. I, I
4: have mixed feelings about the 40,000. Um, I do think under Chairman Preckwinkle it is better um, As the consultant for candidates who've paid, she allows me to voice opinions. She doesn't always take them, but at least I get to speak. Um, And we have more of an input with how the resources. Last cycle, um, several consultants, um, Omari Prince, who's here with us tonight, Sean Tenner, we went and we talked to the party about we need digital. You cannot run in the modern world without digital. And she was very open to that and actually took some of the money and did a very strong digital program. Previously, when you would suggest things, you would get, oh no, that's not what we do. This is what we've always done. And that would be a sense of real frustration that candidates pooling the money. You would sometimes, as a consultant, feel, you know, if I just pooled my slate, I could not get as much as the party. But you do lose. The traditional voters for judge are elderly. They're 60 and older, are the ones most likely to vote the whole ballot. And the Democratic Party endorsement does mean a lot to them. Younger people are not as vested in the party, but older senior citizens are. So that's an advantage to have with that. But so much goes into it. You know, every other race that's going on will impact what the strategy is for a judge. You know, um,
2: this cycle, I have five friend clients that's running. And one of the things that I've learned from what happened with Mike Hyman, that visibility and education affects everything instead of paying attention to the rules of a democratic conglomerate. I'm not knocking them. I'm just directly translating. I'm trying to use the words to explain as best I can. They tell you you have to follow this rule on this day, and you wait. And like a lot of people, I got they campaign cars, handouts to pass out because they thought the election was going to be on a certain date. And lo and behold, it wasn't on that date. <laughs> uh, a lot of African americans that's running to be judges failed into that trap. What do you mean by that, Gator? When I realized that the only candidates that were out there doing a Bob Day parade with visibility, were the ones that allow me to assist them. With technology being what it is today, I got a show called The Battle Report. It's streamlined, It becoming YouTube the next two days. I'm able to plug it in and put it anywhere and everywhere from being a follower of the governor, J.B. Prisker, for being a follower to Kim Fox, Tony Pratt Winkles, or as they tagging me, I'm tagging them. So if they got 200,000 people on each one of these things, my people are being seen by their people. And I feel good about that because before the slating at the end of the Democratic Party slate, I had three of the five candidates or my clients and my friends get slated. And even at the slating, we were the only one that had visibility. And you were aware of that, because you, I might have been you that took the picture where I had Sanjay Taylor and Rita the on the back only one there with a f-
0: t-shirt with your <laughs> Clients faces (laughs) on your t shirt.
2: Right. You so she takes a picture of it and she puts it in the newspaper and I feel that like Dietra is one of my favorite friends and clients that's running. She's Jewish. She a woman. She's bisexual or she represents one of the alphabets. I don't like to say all the alphabet because I get them mixed up. Okay? But she fits in for the sake of diversity of what's needed. Everyone is saying they this now and we ought to be. And what I love about her is that she campaigns like everybody know how Jesse Reed campaigned. He's still campaigning, you know what I mean? Jesse Reyes, I'm gonna say this about Jesse Reyes. He was one of my clients too with appellate court. I had about three or four different appellate court clients at that time. And um, we at the NAACP town hall meeting. So the NAACP president gets up and he says, okay, how many members in here are members of the NAACP? Now it was African American that was running a lot of them. And when Jesse raised his hand, he was the only car I can't remember, <laughs> with the NAACP card. It made everyone realize that he was paying attention to the NAACP defense fund or legal work. He was paying attention to everyone's ethnicity. And I'm happy to say that all my clients they members of the West Side in WACP, Everston's in WACP, <laughs> the West the South Side in WACP, yeah, and push. You know what I mean? So
0: So you guys are both talking a lot about identity and people's, you know, ethnic or racial backgrounds or their orientation is that what matters to voters most in your experience talk a little bit about how because we're talking about picking people for judge to decide on the interpreting the law you know how does this fit in first and foremost
4: when you do polling the communities all of them across cook county will say they really want the most qualified So they are looking at the legal experience. They look at the bar ratings. Mm -hmm. They want quality judges. They want judges with the right experience. The next factor that tells them what might be qualified or why they will be good is how they represent or they feel that the community feels they would get a fair shake. Mm -hmm. This is somebody who's a good person. It's kind of this likability factor. If the voters think you're a nice person, and some of the criteria Gator said, Mm -hmm. if you're you know, in a room of African Americans, and you're the only member who's ever joined an African American advocacy group, that sends a message. If you are an African American woman, and African American women know they have been underrepresented on the bench in other places, um, Indian American Asians, you know, as the smallest percentage of um, gay men, is not nearly on the bench. So they do look at. How do we get our communities so that we have a better chance? And the biggest example last cycle was the party slated Jill Rose Quinn, or the right. first transgender slated judge who was successful. And her role is to help educate other judges as to what are some of these legal issues that the court will be hearing um, that you don't think of unless you're a member of that community. And that's what the whole subcircuit was. And now kind of the movement of the subcircuits moved to voters countywide.
3: All right, well, let me ask you this as long as we're on this subject. Get your thoughts on this. And, uh, and, Gator, by the way, I now realize while I was listening to you, I could see why this worked two ways. Because Jewish voters, when they read this, they think, well, Hyman got screwed because he's Jewish. They're picking on him. And black voters look at this, and they go, oh, they're just picking You're on him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. This is different than, and I don't want to go on this tangent, but I remember when the Sun-Times nailed uh, Junior, uh, Congressman Jesse Jackson Jr., put yeah. the blonde lady on there. Yeah. Yeah. That killed him. Yeah. But this is totally different. I, now I got it. All right. I took. Sometimes it takes a while, while but then it, it hits home. Uh, so, I never understood this. Please help me out. And your translator help me out on this one. For years, people tell me, if you have an Irish last name, it's golden, to quote Governor uh, uh when you're running for election. I could never understand that, OK? As a judge. As a judge, right. yeah. It doesn't seem to hurt for other offices, either. But <laughs> let us put that aside. As a judge, golden. In fact, it got to the point where I, th- I remember there was a candidate who changed her name to an Irish last Mail. name. Mail. Yeah. Was it male? Okay. It was okay. Mayo. okay. Yeah. Yeah. This
0: is like, there's been multiple.
3: Yeah. Well, I'm like, this is this, enough some, enough this is really weird out there, yeah. you know. So it says a lot about voters voting for names. So help me out with this one. Well, Go where ahead.
4: that came from, and what's interesting is um, there's a book, and it talks about, and it's an older book, about the Chicago Bar Association when they first, and we're talking back, you know, in the early 1900s, starting to do bar evaluations and analyzing elections in Chicago. And the first name change to run for office was a male who took the name of a leading Republican and ran as a Democrat. Because at that time, there were more Republicans. And so we have a long history of these names. What's the book called? Um, it's just the CBA. Um, I'll get you the exact one. It's, <laughs> I'll get you a copy. Um, but as we saw, then we had people. O'Brien, for whatever reason, resonated. And in part, because we had some very good elected Judge O'Briens. So almost nobody named O'Brien was losing. So we had a whole slew of people adapting their name to O'Brien, which is when the General Assembly said, enough. And if you change it, you have to wait three years, or you're on the ballot as so and so formerly known as. (laughs) So you you kind of wonder why everybody wouldn't wait the three years, but they don't. Um, And we also, I think in part because politics was so long controlled by the Irish, of which I am Irish, um, they taught people, when in doubt, vote Irish. And then they perpetuated this myth that, oh, if you have an Irish name, you're gonna win. If you actually look at results, that's not true. It can make the difference, and I've been told on several races, you can't possibly win. You have a male with an ethnic name against an Irish woman. I've won them all. So if you run a good race and you've got the best quality candidate, the name. Now, if you don't know who you're running and voters just go in and nobody's campaigned hard and they guess, they will default to the I've heard now
0: name. that the default is favoring uh, women with Latina names. Yeah. The default depends where you're voting. So um,
4: Latinos do very strongly. Uh, Latina names and Latina, um, both male and female Hispanic candidates do very well in Cook County. You will still see in Hispanic voting wards, if there is no Hispanic candidate or Latina on that ballot, they will vote Irish. Mm -hmm. So they will vote ethnic first and then default. African Americans, and if it's an obvious ethnic name and they don't see that, then they sometimes default. So
3: they just don't vote?
4: They either leave it out or if they do care, if they're older and they feel I have to vote, they'll just vote for the Irish.
2: Right,
0: they had one <laughs> candidate. I can't think of her name, but she.
2: default vote for she the used Irish. African American's <laughs> name, and she won. And I uh, can't think of her name offhand.
4: Taisha? Huh? Taisha?
2: No, 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 no. Uh, she was white, and she had an African American's name. Uh, she won, and then she wanted to run for appellate court. Oh,
4: Deborah Walker.
2: Right, right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to. Surprise. I'm just trying to keep you up with education. That's why you got to educate the people. You know what I mean? And um, one of the things about the United States Supreme Court nomination, it wasn't just an African American. People realized it was a. They were qualified. It wasn't just because. I'm going to say this publicly, because it's going to come out eventually. So you might as well hear the truth from me now. I step, I like to dance, okay? As a friend of mine, I try to tell her, hey, it don't make sense for you to get in the race that I'm in, because I'm very dedicated to my clients. I don't just accept their money, I also spend some of my money to help my clients. So, she knew this, I told her this, but she went on and put me and her on the picture and as if I was with her knowing that I'm endorsing Rena, out there for Rena. I've been wearing Rena so much on my t-shirts, my wife thought she was the other woman. <laughs> 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 you know what I'm saying? Front and back, you know what I mean? So I politely told her that in this in this in this game, I honor those that are elected to wear that role. They gotta be morally and ethically strong and qualified. They got to be fair in their judgment because one thing I do know whether you're president or a gangbanger, you're going to come before a judge. When I see Bob Mylan and what he did to Gerald Reed as a special prosecutor, and he got with uh, Judge uh, Himble, whatever his name is.
0: Just in case folks don't know, Gerald Reed was a victim of... John, one of the John Burge torture victims, and so what did Bob Marlin? Right,
2: do? so Bob Marlin was a special prosecutor. And this judge, before he retired, he gave Joe Reed a new trial. He vacated his charge because of police torture and he confessed to a crime where he ended up being locked up for 28 years then. And, uh, the judge's order, which Mylan them didn't appeal, was that whoever became the next judge, they were to give him a new date. Well, Mylin was mad because he was a part of that same cabal that was coming at me like Saxon. He was a part of the assistant state's attorneys that were with bad police officers that was allowing the torture. Him and what's the name? Hubble, 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 was working for Miley when he was in the state's attorney's office. State's attorney office. He became a the judge. They did not uphold that judge's order to give the man a new trial. They came together and made the decision that they weren't going to honor that judge's order, based on all the rules, based on the law, they end up sending that man back to the penitentiary for two more years. And if it wasn't for uh, Governor J.B. Prisker they gave the man a pardon, he would still be in there. Bad lawyers, bad assistant state's attorneys, become bad judges. And my thing is this, from what I'm reading, everyone, be it a lawyer, be it a judge, when they see lawyers doing things unethical and judges doing things unethical, even if they do it anonymously, they're supposed to let the ARDC know about them.
0: Well, so how come do you think that for, I mean, now it's changing a little bit, but in the early 2000s, there was like a report done uh, by uh, Northwestern uh, MacArthur Justice Center about the composition of the judiciary and the circuit court. And they found that like 50 of the 61 judges sitting in 2003, were either directly or indirectly right. involved in these torture cases. Right. Uh, either at, at taking tortured confessions as assistant state attorneys, or it somehow or other involved at the time at the office working with the people who were taking those confessions. So after that report came out in 2003, it's not as if all these judges lost their retention bids. I mean, they th- these folks are just retiring when they, when they decide to, and uh, it, it's very, very rare that a judge will actually lose a retention vote. Why do you guys think that is, despite all of this information being out there?
4: I think voters don't look for it. They you know, um, And with some of them, in all fairness, they were involved, but they were a brand new state's attorney with no authority, so they might have been in the room, and they have a judge, they're on for 18 years, and as a judge, they've been good so there's a sense like well we're not going to we don't know and but i'm talking about with the voters with what they look at and so i think that's a problem with you know it's only been in the last couple of cycles where you see the bar associations now when they evaluate for retention they're looking at that they're going back they didn't used to do that the other thing that is completely underfunded is the jib the judicial inquiry board there are five staff members for the entire state of illinois so if you do have a bad judge or you have these concerns There is nothing to do. That's the appropriate body to be having these judges referred to and have them actually investigate. And I have never understood why we don't demand funding to actually fully fund the JIB. That's the best route to get rid of the bad judges, as opposed to the
3: voters. Well, what I'm ascertaining is that uh, having a good political strategist is very important for uh, any candidate uh, to get elected. Okay any judicial candidates. It's very important to have a, a, someone who can introduce them to voters, uh, someone who can teach them how to go get vote. So my question to the two of you, and I'll start with you, Mary Kay, is how much due diligence do you do before you sign on with a candidate, I mean, you know, like when you, when I knew you were the guest, I looked both of you up on Google. So mm-hmm. that's I uh, know the, the basics. Well, back to you. <laughs> I know the basics, okay? But I I didn't I didn't go beyond that. I didn't like you know have somebody do a research paper on you or you know an opposition paper. So how much due diligence do you do before you accept that person as a I client? I do
4: quite a bit. I work only by referrals. From people I respect, um, sitting judges, retired judges, community leaders, faith based leaders, politicians, and then I look at a whole group and I have to, you know, more than one person has to say, this is somebody we need on the bench. Um, Then I look into them and do my own. Have they had any? JIB complains if they're an appointed judge. Have they had an overabundance? Um, I look at the total bars. You can have a bad bar, you can have two bad bars. These things happen. Um, but if the majority of the bars are good, that's another indication. I look at what was their legal experience. Um, and I turn clients down. I don't take everybody who comes to me. I do. I want to put my name behind people who are well qualified that I believe are going to be on the bench. They have both the judicial, the legal background, community backgrounds. They have, I look for somebody who's done something in their community, is still somewhat active, um, as well as that they have had some participation in the political process. Um, The party gets hit a lot that, oh, it's an insider's game, or they're looking for people who can run an election So we have a lot of people who come to slating every year, and they say, well, I want to be slated. Do you know your commitment? We've had candidates say, I don't know what's a commitment. So when you're looking through, if they're going to be electable, you know, there's some, you know, so I do that check. You know, who do you work with? And I think Gator pretty much similar.
2: What I do, back to Hyman, he tell everyone, I investigated him as if, really, I investigated him as if he was a criminal, because I take the judiciary seriously. And he was shocked, because I did, you know, my research, everything, I got down, because I felt that the education that I had got real fast from Pincham and then understanding why Pincham and him were friends and how it was the Jewish community that I helped Pincham as he was going through school and he was a waiter and he was doing all of this. It had me see deep that you wanna know who the person is that's running to be a judge or we gonna end up with just like what you said this other judge, I can't think of his last name, his name was Kenneth or Ken or whatever it is, he didn't get retained. He was so horrible. But they kept the appellate court judge, um, a mebang. they let her get retained when she knew how horrible Ken was and she gave him a pass and the part I'm saying It was a guy that Ken was responsible for interviewing when he was assistant state's attorney. And lo and behold, when Ken became, or Kenneth, whatever his name is, became judge, the guy got a new trial, a new case, a new hearing, and it ended up being in front of him. So he made the move, he didn't recuse himself, which would have been a proper thing to do. He made a decision that it should go somewhere else, And went to the appellate court, the woman happened to be his friend. Right now, with social media being what it is, I educate the people that I solicit their votes from, be it if they're running for governor, state senator, U.S. senator, congressman, alderman, or whatever it is. But since we're talking about the judiciary, they need to understand, in my opinion, you got to see past race or what you feel that it ought to be. And there's, everybody got a right to run. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. but just because you're African-American. Now, I've had African-American clients too. Tim Wright is one of my clients, you know what I mean? And I didn't mention Tom Donnelly, one of my clients. I think I got all five of y'all, right? Okay, (laughs) you know. (laughs) That's my commercial. (laughs) Well, anyway, the um, fact of the matter is this. I look to see what they did before they became judges. I find out what cases they've had if I have to go on pacing, I find out what decisions they made, as judges how long they've been on the bench. And then we sit down and we talk about the contract. That's what I do. I just don't say, hey, come give me the money. Let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> I'm just like, a, I need to well,
0: know. So just we'll take uh, some audience questions. So. I think Tim is somewhere around here with the the mic, but before we get to that, just one more question that I was really wanting to ask you is, like, there are so many rules about how candidates for judge can campaign. There's, like, they can't make promises about what they're going to do once they get elected. They can't express their opinions about stuff. Like, there's all these ways that what they say on the campaign trail is is restrained, and so it's kind of hard to tell, like, what kind of person is this, because there's so few things that they're able to say other than like, well, I'm gonna uphold the law. Uh, so what do, you, like, how do you, what do you do as, as a strategist to make what these campaigns me? you know, uh, some, uh, resonate with people and, and help people understand what, what your candidates are actually about?
4: I do polling and I don't poll to say, are you voting for A, B or C? Because I have made up names and lo and behold, they've won the poll Mm -hmm. Um, So So what I do is I test messages with groups, particularly in sub-circuits where it's much more affordable, but the idea is, what is it you're looking for in a judge? What about these candidates gets you there? And it gives you really good data for your messaging so that you can then let them know. Um, We've done polling in one race, it was a male against my client, was the man, and we were able through the polling to eliminate there was a certain portion that was gonna vote for a woman, whether she was competent, and com- they didn't care, they were gonna vote for a woman. So we didn't, reach, we didn't waste our resources reaching on them. And I think one of the things in terms of credentials, going back to the party or why sometimes that matters, um, we mentioned Deborah Walker, who when she first ran, after she was elected, Gator's community was like, she's not one of us, she happened to be white. Um, At slating this time, when she came forward, committeemen who remembered that race point blank asked her, you know, you ran against the party, you won. We get that, we accept it, but now you're back to ask us to support you for the appellate court. And we'd like an explanation of why in that cycle you picked the sitting incumbent African-American male judge who was slated and not the white male who was not a sitting judge. Or the other woman to run against you I mean? Right. She, they and they wanted an explanation from her. Why did you pick? And it was obvious she picked the black male, thinking he was the weakest. And they brought that out, and she was extremely upset. And I, yeah, I felt for her. She's but that's the type of thing that some of the party commitment.
3: Why was she upset?
4: Because she was called out, and she felt that made her look racist, and she's not. As yeah, opposed they, to, yeah, they, they, they called
0: her out in front of everybody. The Irish
2: name. it's i right, you the Irish name. But don't be Ms. Walken. Yeah. <laughs> well,
3: uh, yeah, so she felt uh, her integrity was being challenged, right. unfairly they challenged. Did
0: this to, they did this to every, almost everybody yeah. who was at the at the big event that the Democratic Party has to pick who they're going to slate. They point blank asked people, yeah. like, well, you ran against the party last time. Like, why are you back here with your hat in hand wanting our endorsement?
2: But, you know, that's why I made mention... All hear me harping on Deidre. I see Deidre as being little tony Tony Pratwinkle. everybody didn't know how many times she ran against the regular Democratic Party. We were at a, at the event, the last event that the eighth Ward had mm-hmm. at the uh, at the Hyatt, I think it was. And if it wasn't for John Stroger, there was a part of the regular Democratic Party realizing how many times she has ran and said, hey, she would be a plus to the party because she's constantly getting numbers. Like the last election cycle, I think Detroit got almost a quarter of a million votes. People that said they weren't upholding straight Democrats. You follow what I'm saying? What we do, what I do, I use every vessel that I can to help educate the people that you got the power. And it's encompassing on me is being a consultant for a candidate that's allowing me to represent them. To educate you, about that candidate that judicial candidate and why it's important for you to make the decision if you want someone that's qualified I'ma show you their qualifications here's a line here's a person that's running against them you pick what you feel is important if you feel like do they get up at 6 o'clock in the morning then you wanna see who got alarm clock and who's sleeping you know what I mean? So. I mean, I, I, that's all, I'm, I'm urban translator. I'm trying to keep it down so we all can understand. But that's what that's what I'm saying. You got to don't get me wrong. I'm true blue Democrat, true blue. But I hate the hypocrisy. it's if an individual when I go to the Slatons. Everyone in the room is a Democrat. But they make it to the point that if they don't get slated, they're no longer a Democrat. You know what I mean? That's, 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 that's. instead of paying attention, that's why I I love Tony Pratt. We got a supporter of 100%. Toes down. But I sometimes think she would understand the democratic process that she went through and see others that's going through it and find an exception, just like Strozier found an exception in her.
3: You know how it works in Chicago, Gator. You've been here long enough. You uh, you you. you run against the the party, and when you beat the party, they welcome you in, and uh, that's how they do it in Chicago. You know that. So you're gonna
2: be ready. Go in when we beat them.
3: Yeah. Okay. They'll welcome you in, and the next thing you know, (laughs) you'll get their endorsement, and they'll love you. I've seen it happen with so many different candidates Mm -hmm. over the years, uh, who started off as independents. And then once they were welcomed, then they were welcomed. in. I—we're I, going to go to the audience. But I still don't understand okay. how the party—they let JB get away with that. What, isn't there a rule that you're supposed to, if the party slates you, you're supposed to endorse a that party? Yeah, and somehow or other, oh, J- oh, well, well, this <laughs> is
0: getting uh, away from the judges. About show. State. The show.
3: Wait yeah. a minute. <laughs> <laughs> let's see if we're, we got some questions over
0: here. Okay, we got a question up here, Tim. <laughs>
1: Since everything that's happening right now with Ed Burke, do you think what do you think Burke should really step down as chief justice of the Illinois Supreme Court? Because considering what's all happened with her husband, because they sh- they should know what she should know. What's happening with
2: you know? I answer that for you. No, she shouldn't. She wasn't a party to the criminal activity, or she was wise Alleged. enough. Of she was wise enough to be on the allegedly side that she wasn't the thing that gave me because I know where you're coming from when I see Clance Thomas the Supreme Court judge and what his wife is doing no one screamed for him to resign I have when they involved, no one listens to me
3: but you're absolutely correct unbelievable so I, I'm kind of with you though, brother. <laughs> done
2: that one
0: Are there, are there other questions? Back there.
1: You mentioned earlier that something like 75% of the voters for the judiciary are over 60. And obviously one of your responsibilities is to garner uh, support for the candidates. So do you see it as a problem? Do you try to garner more votes than have historically been Uh, submitted in the past, what's your take on the situation of the majority of the voters being over sixty.
4: I think in the last couple of cycles, you've seen a shift with the digital world and techniques that, you know, text messages have only been used in campaigns in Illinois for the last two cycles. This will be our third cycle where they're a legal tool. So I think we've seen an increase. Um, one of the most incredible movements was during the retention of 2018 when the two girls got together to do their own research. And they looked at the bar ratings and Justice Watch articles. And they started doing their own digital saying, you know, the Gone Girls putting out their own candidate guide. And they estimate over 200,000 people showed up at polling places with that. And that was the younger movement who showed up because of that general election. So the youth got brought in by what was going on in the bigger races. But they were able digitally to have an interest. And our challenge and candidates' challenge is to use these new technologies to engage the under, you know, 50 population as to why a judge matters. And
0: but do, do, doesn't it make your job easier to just kind of keep it at the 60-plus voting block? No. And- well,
4: sooner or later, you're going to lose that block. So if you, <laughs> there's always people, there's people aging people always into it. always
3: going up. You know, they're, they're always coming up the ladder, you
4: know? Yeah, I mean, I've been on a campaign down in Thornton Township, and I asked, where is my senior coordinator? And they said, well, she is 94. And it was like, oh, you know, because of the elder you know so it is important if we real a true democracy and we want a real judiciary of the best people representative of the whole county we need to engage these voters we need to educate these type of things educate people why going to vote and why going to vote for judges Um, you know what's not talked about we have the drop off but every cycle we are going down in voter turnout and there's a shift to where the the votes now come from the townships
3: Wait, Is know. that true? I haven't studied this in a while. Every election, the voter...
4: We lose voters, and we shift. Huh. If you look at the results from the last few cycles, um, previously, all the city aldermen, particularly the south side, mm-hmm. the west side, were big turnouts with the exception of the 19th ward. Now, they're down 19 and 47 are the only city wards in the top 10. So the top eight, and going down through the f- top 15, are all the townships. I see. There's could a could a they the suburbs?
3: When you say top 10, are you talking total turnout, total, total, or? No, uh, total
4: Democratic primary.
3: Another, the number of proportion, because Wait, of the, the votes. Right. No, no, no. Like, what percentage <laughs> well, of the vote, voter turnout is I the can percentage? give you an example.
4: In Thornton Township, there are 100,000 registered voters. Okay. That is the number one turnout, city, county, actually, in the state but they only get to 54% of their registered voters. If you go to the 47th Ward, they have a lot less, but they're getting 98% of Are the registered voters? voters to the polls. No way. Yes.
3: Mm-hmm. No way.
4: Yes, check I'll this. I will get you the statistics. Oh, I've got you, know, you, you
3: picked the, the restaurant, that's the Right. <laughs> there is no district in the city of Chicago that gets 98%.
4: They did and I think they sent out and hey, they were asked
1: right now, Mary.
3: <laughs>
2: right. <laughs> you know the ninety
4: eight percent? They were shooting for ninety nine. So uh,
2: you know and, you know what that,
4: forty se less yes. fault. The presidential
2: right. you know the the thing that's key that everybody underestimate is the attention that young adults are paying. To the judiciary behind the George Floyd case. All you got to do is see the cycle where judges now are coming where they used to say as a police officer, when I saw what he couldn't have did it and he gone, yada, yada, yada. It's changing now. So
0: prior,
2: the judge. That's what I'm talking about. They, 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 it's changing. And they're paying a lot of attention because a lot of them be coming to me because what I was able to do in the 90s when I was protesting and they had the VHS, I kept my VH, VHS tapes and then when they came with the DVD, I put it on the DVD and then when they come with the YouTube, I put it on the YouTube so when they see Gator, they see in 30 years of change that they can see why they need to vote because they can see themselves either gonna end up in that system I talked with individuals. I was in the court the other day. The guy's name was Kevin Watson. He was 15 years old, and he called a murder because he was with some guys, and they always lock up after the back and with the buddy plan. He just happened to be on the block. 18 year old come and shoot at the guys on the block. The other guys on the block that was selling drugs or whatever it was shot back and they hit the 18 year old, they killed him. They ran. He felt like I ain't did nothing, why should I run? He stood there, he caught the case. But he ended up in Stateville, of correctional institution. Been there for 12 years, going back and forth on appeal. Lo and behold, the Supreme Court, some, some, and Butler come out with the law that says that a juvenile's mind don't develop to adulthood until he's 21. But he was he was calling me from Stateville because I was going down to Stateville to see the brother that was wrongfully convicted and he was in there. So he yeah, had read my book and all of that and he, I'm talking to him on the phone. First thing you gotta do, pay attention to the institutional rules. You do the time and let the time do you. What I mean by that, take advantage of the time you got in there to get your life right. You got to rehabilitate yourself. So he did. His lawyer told the judge that I would be there to testify on his behalf to show what he went through so I can speak about how I got rehabilitated. I did all that. But he studied the law, so all the young adults within the Illinois Department of Corrections are spending more time in the law libraries than they are on the yard. And this is what happened. He had 60 years and 25 years of enhancement. The judge heard the story because of the law, because of what he did. She gave him a new sentence of 25 years with the 13 years that he had in there and the good time for him to come out. I'm just saying this. The young adults, black, white, Hispanic
3: women, they paying attention to their judiciary. All right, I, I have to push back on this, and, I'll, and then I'd love to get your response, both of you. Because my sense of where we're going right now is the other way. So there was that brief moment after George Floyd was murdered where it seemed to pop into the wider like consciousness of people in America that there was something really wrong going on and that black people were getting the shaft and just to put it mildly. And I feel after the riots of the summer of 2020, we're heading in the other direction. And I listened to the rhetoric coming from the newly elected Mayor of New York, Eric Adams, and I listened to what the rhetoric coming out of the mayor of the city of Chicago, and she's blaming judges uh, for letting uh, hoodlums out of jail, and they're going and uh, carjacking, robbing, and looting, et cetera, and so forth. We had Tim Evans on the uh, right here on this show. Uh, Maya hooked that up still can't believe she did it and uh, he was he defended the judges he was very defensive of the judges but I got to believe it where I'm when I'm seeing these trends we're moving to uh, the backlash is coming uh, Wallace I've seen it happen so many times yeah. Yeah. in my life and, you know,
2: and it it, need to come I agree
3: with you. On that. Uh, well but my point is doesn't it make your job a little different aren't people asking hey judge are you gonna let some uh you know, criminal out of jail without you know, a- you know what it
2: is rhetoric bring about confusion when you got a mayor they're putting it out there it's because, the it's because of the state's attorney it's because of the state's attorney it's because of the state's attorney instead of telling the truth the state's attorney don't do nothing but go into the courts and say, this guy shouldn't be out. Then it's up to the judge if his hands is tied of whether or not the person gonna get a bond. And I'm speaking as a former criminal and I'm speaking as a family member of a victim of crime where my brother got killed. The guy that killed my brother, ex-felon, with a weapon, got caught with the residue on his hand, everything else, because he thought he had created a perfect murder. He was the one to call 911 to give 911 a story, but my brother was still alive when the paramedics got there and said, hey, this guy shot me in my back. When the young man that was 15, because I fought as an advocate, for the juveniles to be, to get this. But when I see the juvenile, I, I feel you, I see the way it's going. When I see the juvenile that's 11 years old, this car jacket, I realize that he's more intelligent than a lot of us about the law. I mean, I, mean, I can't do nothing, get car, that's why the joyride. get the car, but you don't know if he get that gun and he shoot that woman. He know more than we do about the law. I can't get no more than 20 years, I'll be 31 What time I get out. So, it's like we damn if we do and we damn if we don't.
4: I think towards your point where you have the police superintendent and a mayor attacking without the right facts, with the the right knowledge, out of context, you know, bond reform was a legitimate reform that was long overdue when people charged with misdemeanors are held in the county jail for 2 years because of delays in the court and then they're actually acquitted at trial they've lost 2 years so the bond you know the bond judges make tough decisions There's this perception, if you listen to the mayor and the police superintendent, that everybody in bond court is just turning criminals loose. That is not true. We have some really good judges in bond court who are making really tough decisions to find that right balance. Who deserves to be out on bond? Who deserves to be on bond with an electronic monitor? And who has crossed the line that they need to be held? And that was the type of reform, but it's politics and sound bites and scare tactics have always worked, at least in my entire life, from yeah. the Nixon years on. And so now you see your point. We had this movement after George Floyd when you had the you know high school students in Glenbrook South holding Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. signs. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it was like everything was okay. And then for political purposes, it's a mis- and we are going back that other way. And you see, you know, an African American mayor in Aurora to be elected as a Republican with a Republican billionaire throwing out all of the criminal justice that he was implement- you know implementing in a city. Now he's law and order. He wasn't law and order and lock him up two years ago. He was but a criminal dissent- defense lawyer. <laughs> yeah.
3: he was a criminal right. defense lawyer. I right.
2: like, give a lo- a bar. He's like, he ought to be out. So what he did.
4: Right. And the police superintendent, in my opinion. I think Gator would agree. Right. They're using the judges and the
0: judiciary as the scapegoat. And
3: so you have to deal with that as the strategist to try to get right. these judges elected. Right.
0: So, well, in the fall, there's going to be like, I don't know, whatever it is, 60 or so judges up for retention. Uh, only about three criminal court judges uh, who were hearing felony cases are up for retention in the fall. But, like, do you get the sense that now these sitting judges are more scared of stories about them? letting someone out uh, on to light a bond rather than stories about them being really intensely harsh and punitive? Are they more scared about the stories of not being hard enough on people? I think there's a balance. I think yes, some are. I don't think I
4: would say it's a blanket statement because it, you know judges vary like any human from judge to judge. I do know in 2018, one of the bar associations, when a very good bond, one of the senior bond judges was up, was kind of attacked for, well, you've given higher bonds or more cash bond than the other judges. And the judge was able to explain, well, yes, in the first six months, because I was the senior judge, I was given the cases and the murderer. You know? So that's why my, and then they, you know, the bar was like, oh, well, that makes perfect sense then. You just sometimes look at a statistic, you miss what I call the human element you know, and that 's kind of finding that balance. What do the statistics tell you, and what is the human story going on? I think judges, in my opinion, have always you know they 're human beings, so of course they 're always going to be influenced. I think the bulk of them work very, very hard not to give in to that type of pressure and to make the best decision they can on the facts and not worrying about the political end of it. Most of the judges once they're on, actually most of them before they get there. They're not political animals. They're there because they're good lawyers. They want to be good judges, and I think that's what drives them. I think occasionally you'll have somebody who's, like, really afraid, you know, and cautious, but I don't think that's the rule. I think that's the exception.
2: That's why we're in the age of education, and just like we're in the age of mis- information and disinformation. That's why it's important for every consultant as well as every candidate that's running for office, especially the judiciary, to feed an individual. We talk four or five times a day. I even met a mother the whole 10 yards. We talk so much, her hey, I know I didn't see you back there. As Donnell, that's I call him the painter. So when you see Detroit everywhere, he's in the castle over there. But we do that because we educate the voters. We don't just see them as a statistic. Um, take my word for it. No, look and see who they are, what they're doing, because you need to know. Don't you know that if I knew that it was going to be a judge like Hippo, whatever his name is, would dare violate all the tenements of his oath to be a judge? I'm going to say this. If he's ever up for retention, there's going to be a groundswell to make sure that he do not get retained. If Mylon or Ronald Safer run for judge, it's gonna be out there all the things they did wrong when they were prosecuting attorneys. The bar uh, regarding
4: right. Milan, he was already zinged by most of the bar just, associations for just because for just that reason. For just
2: that reason, that's that's, that reason. that's, that's, com- that's coming from yeah. educate. So,
0: is there another question? Did you
1: see, no, see him? Oh, right
3: there, right there.
0: Oh, back there, yeah. Dave Golas. Hey
1: the, hey to who? Uh, you, you, both of you mentioned vetting the candidates that you want to work with and, and uh, wanting to have a, a certain sort of ethicality. And I'll, I'll say my question first and then I want to give a little more about it. I wonder if you've worked with candidates that later disappointed you when they were on the bench. And I'm thinking about this is probably more of a problem with non-judicial offices where you know money is more of a <laughs> our, our system influences um, office holders more. But I heard, uh, I think, of Mary Kay, I heard you mention Dick Devine, so that's what like perked my ears up on it. So th- that's my question.
4: I have had one judge, and I'm not going to name him, who shortly after his election, I would get calls almost every day with something stupid he had done. Um, and it turned out he was just in the wrong assignment. When they finally moved him, he settled down and was good. Um, for the most part, I've been very lucky. All of the judges I've been involved with have ended up being good you know, good judges, good people. Um, but I did have that one clunker. <laughs> but he did, he did turn it around.
2: <laughs> I haven't had one that I said shouldn't have been on the bench. I may have been in campaigns and lost them and said, hey, how did that guy get on the bench? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna go there, but. Because we're here.
3: <laughs>
2: you know, uh, that's a good question, man. And all I can say is that there's more attention to the judicial races now. You may think that don't mean nothing until you get a ticket, and you get in that courtroom. And they just don't understand that the reason that you got the ticket, because the front of your car crossed the little beam with the light, and you really didn't turn, make the turn, but you got the ticket for turning. And the first day you're gonna say, what is his name or her name? She'll never be able to get my vote again, you know? So all that I'm saying that we in a country, and I thank God, because I'm seeing other countries far worse than ours, where we have a judiciary, and at the end of the day, it's we the people that elect the judges, and they're gonna come before you again. I think this election is going to let them know how wise we the people are, because one thing we do, we talk. You know, my thing, like I always tease uh, Deetra and my clients, I got this old saying, it's telephone, telegram, and a negro <laughs> and the word go get out, <laughs> you know
3: I
4: I can't say that to my clients. <laughs> you can say
2: Irish.
3: <laughs> Oh my goodness. That is funny. Uh, By the way, I just want to say before we leave, I always point out that we've been uh, hammering on the the criminal justice end of things, but I'm going to give a shout out to judges because it was a Cook County judge who ruled against Rom on the FOIA case on Lequan McDonald and has changed politics in this city. Nothing's been the same since that judge made that ruling forcing Rahm against all his desires and ambitions to reveal that tape. tape. And think about it. Anita Alvarez was defeated. Rahm didn't run again. And so it's more than just in these uh, criminal cases.
4: Well, that's the whole point of getting the best judges. If you have the best judges, you get the right decision. And
0: that's what happened there. So I guess to close, what would both of you say? Like, let's forget about the 65 plus cohort of people who are just religiously voting for judges because that's in their blood. You know, your average voter who's maybe barely getting motivated to vote this year because it's a midterm election there's nothing real sexy on the ballot if you if you have one thing to tell them to to get a spark going about voting for judges what would you, what would you tell them I'll if you have like them, 1 minute to convince I, them to I'll vote I'll tell
2: for them judges. this pay attention to the judge that you elect because you just might end up in front of the bad judge.
4: Donald Trump taught us that good judges absolutely matter. It was Republican-appointed federal judges that protected some of our rights. Good judges are the last defense of our democracy.
3: It's kind of scary considering who's sitting on the Supreme Court. <laughs> That's not really making me feel confident. <laughs> Just think about those judges, Clarence Thomas's wife. Oh, you're going to do this.: Yes, dear and i just want to close since
4: i usually don't promote my candidates but i'm going to take equal time because gator did <laughs> so um this judges... is not an endorsement by either ben well, or i yeah i just want say... not an
0: endorsement by us no it's not this i'm just doing my equal
4: time um judge Rena van Tyn, michael weaver dominique ross for appellate yolanda sayer um, and I think Araceli De La Cruz, um, I'm not sure if Araceli made it, I know they were coming. And usually I don't do that, but Tom, I felt, Don Gator, Tom, Tom Donnelly, that's Gator's client. <laughs>
0: right. We are not endorsing any of these people. As far as, far as I'm concerned, uh, the, yeah, there, this, is, this is not to be associated with any kind of endorsement by Injustice Watch or the reader or, or Ben or me personally.
3: No, Gator, you're really good at it. (laughs) Every time you tell a story, well, I was just telling, and then you say the name of the judge. I (laughs) I was just telling my good friend, and by the way, the name is spelled uh, R-L. It's the Irish (laughs) name?
4: If we had a punch number, he'd have worked
0: that in, too.
3: You're good. You're good.
0: Well, thank you all for coming out uh, for this uh, you know the 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 deep part of the ballot uh, that we really hope that this this has uh, clarified some things it's sparked some interest in, in in your willingness to participate in judicial elections um, we are hoping to hopefully be back next month if things continue as they are with the, with the case numbers uh, going down and Things feeling safer. So look out for information about our next show on our Facebook page, which we rarely update except for when we need to. So find us at uh, First Tuesdays, uh, First Tuesdays Chicago on Facebook, First Tuesdays with Maya and Ben. And also please check out uh, Chicago Reader at Chicagoreader.com and Injustice Watch at InjusticeWatch.org. And if you go on there, uh, we, have, we cover all kinds of news related to the judiciary and the courts, and we produce the only independently researched judicial election guide every election season. We'll have one for the primary election and for the general for all the retention races. We don't make endorsements, but we tell you what's up with all these people's backgrounds. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you all for coming out.
2: Thank you.
1: Thank you, everybody, for coming out. Uh, We have a great band coming on at 9.30 tonight. You're all welcome to hang out in the front bar and then come and watch the show for free. Also, thank you, Mick and Ben. It's so great to have you back. And uh, Scientist Walks Into a Bar is next Tuesday, right, at the same time. And, uh, oh, there's a lot of great stuff. Check out our website. So thank you very much for coming out, and thanks so much for all you do to make Chicago a great place. Thank you.